0: how many of you are done with all of your christmas shopping how many of you have still got some to go how many of you are glad that on the eighth day of creation god made (laughs) amazon.com i sure am i am what you call a prime member of amazon.com which means that i could recently simply with one click get that beautiful ratchet wrench set winging its way on my wife, to my wife Amy for Christmas. <laughs> I'll be here in just two days. In some parts of the country, you can actually pay $99 to the folks at Amazon and they will get the package to you, whatever you order that very same day. And that's only because they haven't yet got the FAA to agree to their drone delivery system that's coming. And when that happens, you'll be able with one click anywhere to have whatever you want within the hour, probably. We are living in amazing times, are we not? Just this past week, I was um, fast asleep in my bed. I had neglected to turn my phone to silent. And at one fifty-two a.m., I heard a bing that woke me from my slumber. And curious, I reached out, took hold of my smartphone looked at it, and had realized that I was getting texted by one of my college sons. Dad, the message read, I need to borrow some money for Christmas presents. (laughs) I love the way they use borrow, the word borrow, (laughs) in this generation. So at 153, I keyed in to that same smartphone the code needed to access my bank, and by 154, The money that my son needed in a distant state across the country was there for him, ready to go, ready for him to buy that beautiful game of Call of Duty Advanced Warfare for my wife for Christmas. (laughs) She's going to love that video game, I'm sure. No waiting in lines. No waiting for the money to be mailed across the country instantly right there. As I said, we are living in amazing times. There are geniuses working overtime right now to eliminate waiting from your life. You will no longer have to linger uh, yearning for whatever it is that you're yearning for because the folks at some company, some will have figured out how to get it to you faster and faster. You're in the doctor's office. You're a young mom. Your child is going crazy. They're, they're, they're tired of waiting for the doctor to usher them in no problem. You pull out your 3G tablet, you you hit a couple of buttons and down to your device comes a perfect movie to keep your child uh, occupied for these next few minutes. Or you find yourself perhaps in a situation where you're thinking, should I take my family to Disney for spring break? Nah, the lines are so long. And then you remember, ah, for only 350 Dollars to $500 an hour, I can buy a VIP tour pass. And there will be no waiting. I'll go right to the front of the line. I'll be into the attraction and on to the next one in no time. Or you're contemplating maybe doing Christmas brunch after church. And you think, oh, but the mall is so crowded. There are too many people. And then you remember, you've got an app on your phone. And it would allow you to make a reservation right now that will eliminate your having to wait For anything. In fact, you can order a taxi cab, PDQ, to show up right outside the doors of the church so you don't even have to look for parking at the mall. And while you're at it, you can geolocate some very nice people who are nearby that you might like to have lunch with. All in an instant. No waiting. We are living in amazing times. And yet, still there will be so many times So many circumstances in which we will find ourselves needing to wait. We'll be waiting for Christmas to come. Nobody can get it here any sooner for us. And then after Christmas comes, we'll wait for the snow to finally be gone. We wait for the school year to begin and then for summer to start. We wait for the microwave to ding and the bell to ring, for the check to arrive... For our portfolio to thrive. We wait for the mate to be found and the wedding to come and the house to be done. We wait for the train to appear and for that special date to come near. We wait for the job to open or for the tests to come back. I even came across a website called Waiting.com that provides a social network for people whose experience, common experiences, they all have a loved one who's in a coma right now. And they're all, every one of them, waiting for that phone call that tells them that their beloved has suddenly, miraculously awoken from slumber or mercifully perhaps been taken home into the arms of God. Where do you find the strength to keep waiting when waiting is hard? Where do you personally find it when your life has been interrupted by a period of waiting? or by a difficult circumstance or crisis of some kind, where do you find the strength to keep on waiting when what you hope for seems so long in coming or may, in fact, never come to you at all? Where are you going to find that perspective and that power? Well, this morning, I want to invite us to think together on what this story we read in Luke chapter 1 can teach us about these things. It's the story of a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. These two had been in life's waiting room for a very long time. Like many couples in our time, uh, these two had gotten married looking forward to the opportunity to have children together. They had wanted the door of parenthood to open up for a lot of reasons. They looked forward to the laughter and the learning that comes with parenthood. They longed for the legacy that a son or a daughter would give to them, keeping in mind that back in that day, uh, there were very few Jews that believed that you had a resurrection after uh, death. They believed that the only real legacy one had in life was uh, one's children uh, that would keep, in a sense, your memory living on. And in a world before Social Security and Medicare, kids were the only social safety net. They were the only uh, reliable, reliable, Um, provision you would have when you got too tired and old to keep working for yourself. They were the ones that would carry you and care for you when you were too weak to work. In the ancient world, however, especially in the ancient Palestinian or Israeli world, there was an additional reason why having children was regarded as significant. It it was regarded, uh, first of all, on the hopeful side, as an opportunity to be uniquely blessed every jewish woman uh, grew up wondering if they might actually have the womb that would bear the long-awaited messiah maybe they would be the one who would be chosen to to give birth to the one who would rescue israel from its bondage of so many centuries and on the dark side of things most every Hebrew person, male or female alike, believed that to be barren, to have uh, the inability to bear children, was a sign that God saw in you something wrong. There was some uh, some moral failure, some inadequacy, that made you somebody that you should not have children. And that, that reality of both hope and fear is the backdrop for this story we read in Luke chapter 1 where we're told as Luke laments that Elizabeth and Zechariah had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. They had already lost and it looked like there was no prospect reasonably that anything could ever change. So I want to repeat the question. Where do people find the strength to keep on waiting when what they hope for seems so long in coming and may now very possibly never ever come. Over the years, I've talked with more than a few people who have found themselves in a seat like that. Maybe you've been in a seat like that. I've met people who have been praying for years for a blessing which seemed so natural, or so uh, possible, or so rightful, uh, people who have believed that 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 they were perfectly set up to accommodate whatever that blessing was—this particular kind of a job, or this particular sort of mate, or this particular kind of child—and they've prayed for this, they've yearned for this, they've asked God for this year after year after year. And yet, the answer has never come. The answer has always been no. Uh, and, and, and it's bring, bringing to mind for people like this. And this is why they come and talk to their pastor about it. A terrible, terrible concern. What if this is a sign? And what they're saying is that they're they're fearing that uh, they're, that they're a little like that cartoon character Ziggy in one of his most famous strips, in which Ziggy, who's going through a time of tremendous struggle, looks up towards the heavens and shakes his fist and says, "Why, Lord? Why me? Why?" And suddenly a voice booms down from heaven. There's a bubble from heaven as the voice from above says, Because, Ziggy, there's something about you that's always bugged me. (laughs) And that's the fear. That's the fear of some people. That the reason that the answer is not coming, that the blessing is not conferred, is because somehow God does not like them enough does not care for them enough to grant what seems to be such a good. Have you ever felt like Ziggy yourself? Have you ever wondered why God's answers didn't come? I think there is a proper place for self-examination when you find yourself walking through a wilderness. Uh, We know from the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament, for example, that sometimes... Blessings did not come because they were not ready for them. There was something in their moral character. There was something in their pattern of behavior that that God wanted to draw attention to. He wanted them to be shaken, to experience even a, a period of exile, even a corrective kind of pain, in order to lead them to a repentance that would make them more able to make use of the blessing that God wanted to give but the Bible is also clearer. And, and I would say this is an even larger message uh, in, in the Christian scriptures. And maybe one of the things about the Christian uh, Old, the Old and New Testament that makes uh, Christianity distinct from other forms of religion. The Bible is clear that we should not assume that the barren places and the periods of our lives where we're struggling are signs that God is judging us and abandoning us. We should not draw that conclusion necessarily. In fact, we see throughout the scriptures that very many of the most faithful kinds of people go through difficult, tough times, long periods of wilderness themselves. We see this in the story of Abraham and Sarah. We see this in the story of the prophet Elijah. We see this even in in Jesus himself, hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even the very best of God's people will endure suffering, difficulty, difficulty and wilderness times, do not assume that these barren places are signs that God is judging us or abandoning us. On the contrary, in this particular story, Luke underlines that both Elizabeth and Zechariah were upright in the sight of God. They were observing All the commandments and regulations of the Lord blamelessly. In other words, the Bible is trying to say in neon to us here's an example of people who are experiencing what they're experiencing, not because they are not beloved by God, not because they are not living good lives, but because there's something else going on, and yet still the child that they're longing for has not come. So, what is going on? How do we make sense? of stories like these? What are we to make in our own life of those wilderness times? Well, three possibilities come to mind for me as I study the scriptures and think about life experience that may help us with these things. And the first of these perspectives comes to me by way of a personal experience that I associate with this particular season of the year. Many, many years ago, I was about 11 or 12 years old, uh, and I had seen, by visiting my friend shortly after Christmas, my good friend Joe, the most extraordinary little drum set that a young boy could ever catch a glimpse of. Joe had been given this really cool drum set. And from that moment on, I knew what I wanted for my birthday, which was coming up in February of that uh, subsequent year. And I went home immediately and I told my mom and dad what Joe had gotten and that I'd played on it and I really liked it. And I think I was actually even good. I got some rhythm, mom and dad. This is an obvious gift for me. And my mom and dad looked awkwardly. I'm sure going through my mom's eyes was the noise and the clamor like we didn't already have enough. You know, with all of our dogs and cats and pets and four kids, she was thinking, oh, who needs a drum set in the house? And so my birthday came and it went and there was no drum set. I didn't give up. I was very certain that I was meant to have a drum set. I was just certain of this. And so I kept on asking and asking and asking. And I was getting no answer. I was getting rolls of the eyes. I was getting awkward looks between my parents. But I was getting nothing. Finally, Christmas came. And I was still filled with anticipation. I thought, just maybe, just maybe... They were gonna relent. They were gonna open their hearts. They were gonna give me what I should. Have what I wanted so much to have, and so the moment came in early Christmas morning. My dad went over to the great big paneled uh, French doors that we had in our in our uh, living room, that the louvered doors, and he and he cut the ribbon that round or went around the handle, and we burst through the doors as we always did. As the doors folded back, and I looked immediately over to the spot where my presents were always kept. In our family, we would file the presents, we categorized them by. I got the big. I got the big. Um, uh, wing back chair by the fireplace and my little brother got the, the little love seat right next to the wing back chair and it went on around the room. Everybody had their spot. I went immediately to my spot and there right between the, the love seat and the wing back chair there was a drum set about this high and made of tin and paper heads and this awful little symbol that wasn't hardly more than aluminum foil and I was heartbroken and I remember my lips begins to tremble and I hang my head and I'm turning around and I'm thinking what do I say they've given me what I've asked for but this is not even close to what I was longing for And as tears well up in my eyes and I begin to go back out the door because I just need some time to collect myself so I don't come across as ungracious for what my parents have done. I'm starting to make my way out of the door and I look over and behind where the doors have have folded up in the corner over by the window near the piano is a massive professionally sized drum set (laughs) with my name on it. And it turns out the little one was for my really little brother and not for me. And I played that drum set all the way through elementary school, all the way through middle school, all the way through high school, all the way through college. And it was one of the great sources of joy in my life. Now I tell you this story because I don't know what you're going to find behind the Christmas door. I tell you the story uh, because I, I, I can't promise you something. I can't predict anything. But what I do want to say to you with some certainty is that sometimes God keeps us waiting. Because he is preparing something bigger and better than we imagine. And it's just not ready yet. We're not ready for it yet. It's, it's just not time yet. But God has a gift in mind that maybe we can't even imagine right now. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, believe me, any kid would have been a bang-up answer to their prayer from their point of view, right? Just give us a little sniveling kid that cries all the time. We'd be good with that, you know? Give us a kid that may not even be very good in school. We'll be okay with that. Just give us an ordinary little kid and what God was preparing for them was the forerunner of the Messiah himself. You see, the ancient Israelites, the great prophets of Israel, predicted that before the Messiah came, there would come another great last prophet. In the tradition of Elijah, this person would would be such a powerful preacher, it would turn the hearts of Israel Back to their God and children back to their parents. And would bring about a, a renewal, a revival of religious life in Israel. And it would prepare the way of the Lord. It would, it would make straight in the desert a highway for the coming Messiah. And this is the child that Zechariah and Elizabeth are ultimately giving. Here's what the scriptures said as the angel As the angel speaks, do not be afraid, Zechariah, the angel said to him, for your prayer has been heard. And the tense there, the way the language works in the Greek, is it's always been heard. It was heard every step of the way. Your prayer was being heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John, and he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptizer is their boy, he's their gift. God hears your prayers. Beloved, he's hearing them all along. He hears every single one of your prayers. He's not deaf to them. Your prayers don't hit the ceiling and bounce down. They go into the ears of a loving God. You can be absolutely sure he is more generous towards you than any earthly parent is towards their own child. I wish that I could promise again, as I said, that you'll get exactly what you've been asking for behind the door on Christmas morning. I can't do that. Because you have to trust God's timing. You have to trust God's wisdom. The next great gift that God has for you, it may come this week. It may not come till next year. It may not come in this decade or four decades. Just don't despair when God says, not Yet, Because sometimes God is preparing a greater gift than you even have imagination for right now. Let me observe, secondly, however, that sometimes some of the good gifts that God is preparing will not be found on this side of life's door. I know that's a hard statement, but it's the truth. C.S. Lewis, the great British theologian and writer, once observed that creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby, for example, comes out of the womb feeling hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. (laughs) It's why the hunger exists, because food exists. A A baby duckling comes right out of the egg. Wanting to swim. Why? Because there is such thing as water. And Lewis goes on on to say, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world is satisfying, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for a place where that desire does get satisfied. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy my longing, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud, writes Lewis. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy that desire, only to arouse the desire, only to suggest for us the real thing. Advent is about living our way toward the real things of life. That little bit of a rush we feel when, we're, when we open the presents, that, that sense of pleasure we take in looking around and seeing the family and the friends, that, that, that sense of joy and awe that we feel looking at the Christmas lights and the glow and listening to the beautiful music of the season. These things are good in themselves, but they're really only meant... To arouse the desire, to awaken in us a deep, deep hunger for true communion and absolute majesty and ultimate beauty and profound and endless everlasting kind of love. Advent is about living our way toward the real thing. It's not about just an announcement that a baby is to be born. Advent in the fullest sense is about the good news that a whole new world is is going to be born. A whole new kingdom, a whole new way of life is going to be born. And the Apostle Paul puts it this way. The whole creation has been waiting. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. All the various yearnings of our life, says Paul, all of the, the desperate desire for this or for that are actually the pangs of a larger birthing process going on. And one day, maybe tomorrow, maybe maybe next week, perhaps decades away, but one day Jesus is going to return, his second advent. That's what advent's about for us. It's not just remembering backwards to the birth of the baby. It's remembering to the future, to the returning king. One day, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to usher us out of the waiting room and into the delivery room. And it won't just be snack time then. The full-on banquet will be here. It will be a day when all of the pieces of life, all the puzzle pieces, finally come together. And you see the picture. You understand what was going on all along. It will be a day when the way will be made completely straight and clear, when the empty places will be filled up and the dead will wake up and the answers will be given and the creation will be restored. And all of the prophecies of the Old Testament and the teachings of the New Testament tell us to expect that day. Live on tiptoe. Live with your knees bent. Live leaning forward. Because the day of restoration is coming. I know that's hard to take in. I know that's hard to believe. I know that may seem just like wish fulfillment. We're inclined to respond to that kind of a promise the way that Zechariah did to the news that the angel gave him. Zechariah responds skeptically as we so often do, how can I be sure of this? (laughs) Sounds good. But how can I be sure of this? Did you notice how God handled that question? Do you remember the story and how God, the angel, responded to that question? He struck Zechariah dumb. He silenced him. Somebody observed to me after the service, the last one, he probably did that. It was a sign to show that God can do stuff. Maybe that was it. I've always theorized there were two other reasons why he did it. I think he was giving him a slap on the wrist. That was the first reason. I think Zechariah should have known better. Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah was one of the intelligentsia. Zechariah was the guy who was one of the story keepers of Israel. And he would have known that God gave Abraham and Sarah a baby in their old age. God gave Hannah a baby when she never thought it was possible. God gave Babies and lots of other things to the children of Israel when they thought God had given up on them. When they thought there was no hope. Zechariah should have known better. I think God may have just said, Zech, think about it. Close your mouth and just think about what I have done. That's one possible reason. There's another possible reason. Maybe Zechariah was silenced to give him time to really internalize The promise God was giving him. To really think about the way uh, God works. Much as Luke later tells us that Mary treasured, pondered all of these things. All of the message of the angel in her heart. As you go out today, I want to encourage you to ponder what God says to you. To ponder what God has already done in history. And I want to give you three thoughts in particular to ponder as you go out today. Number one, remember that sometimes God leaves us waiting because the gift that he has planned for us is larger and better than we could imagine. Secondly, sometimes God allows our plans, our sense of timing, our program to be interrupted because what he is planning to deliver actually awaits the coming of a whole new world. And finally, please remember that sometimes God leaves us waiting just so that we'll have the time to take his truth in. You know, one of the hardest truths for me to ever take in is the reality that there is a God who is actually God and not just applying for the job. I will be honest with you and say that while I have acknowledged God, there are times when I slip into thinking that it's mainly my job to organize him. It's my job to tell him how things should be. It's my job to take control of situations. It's my job to make sure He knows what ought to be happening. It's my job to to, uh, make other people the way I think they ought to be. And that's true, I think, for a lot of us. We believe that we know what is best. We think that we ought to control things according to our plan and our sense of timing. We just hate to see our program, our plans interrupted in any way. It's why waiting for what we want seems like a violation of things as they should be. Does anybody understand that feeling? And yet, waiting is one of those little sacraments of life that shows us life as it really is. It shows us the real things of life. And every time we wait for a traffic light to change or for the freight train to go by, Or for the job offer to come. Or for the crisis to be over. Every time we're doing this, we're being invited to recall how much life is actually out of our hands. We're reminded that for all of our attempts to structure and schedule and systematize life and other people, we are fundamentally dependent creatures. That's the reality. We are, we are beings uh, who, who depend upon relationships and realities that are ever larger than ourselves. We're beings who are ultimately reliant upon the salvation and the sovereignty of a God who is truly God. He's in charge. It's his program. It's his universe. It's his sovereign will that must be done. And so we can spend our lives like Ziggy, shaking our fists at the heaven... We can spend our lives, like me, as a 12-year-old, tapping our feet impatiently that uh, dad's not getting it. We can go through life this way, uh, irritated at the interruptions, at the length of our waiting. Or we can learn to rest in those moments and begin to take in in a deeper way that it is only as we receive more of our life, as a grace given to us than as a set of rights taken for us that we find the kind of peace that all of us really most deeply are seeking. So the good news is, every little act of waiting that you and I face in this week ahead, it can become an act of preparing ourselves for what God may yet next do it can become an act of anticipating now what God will do even beyond this life. It can be an act of declaring our faith that the heart and the provision and the timing of God can be trusted. And if you find yourself struggling to trust the heart of God, look closely into the face of the one who meets us in the manger. Look closely at the way he ministers as he walks this earth to people in need. Look closely at what he is willing to sacrifice oh so generously to satisfy the deepest needs and longings of his people. And you will realize that even during those periods, Or God's word to you is, just wait. He can be trusted. Please pray with me. Sovereign God, in silent surrender, we ask for the grace that we need to await the unfolding of your perfect plan through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.